Go with me this morning to the book of Romans, chapter number 12. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with your Bible, that is in the New Testament. Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Mark, Luke, Luke, John, John, Acts, Acts, Romans. Y'all know that song? Y'all need to go to kids' church then because uh, they learn the books of the Bible to that tune. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter number 12. We are in the third week of our series called Jesus Heals. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus Heals. He is truly our healer. And obvious from the, the, uh, the title of this series, um, this is a series on healing. And many of us, if not all of us, are in need of healings this morning. Not just physical, but spiritual, emotional, relational, financial. Many people are in need of healings. In week number one, if you've missed any of these, you can get caught up online. But in week number one, I taught you that it is God's will to heal everyone. You have to know that. Regardless of what you've seen, regardless of what other people have experienced, it is God's will to heal everyone. Last week, uh, we, I taught you that how important the phrase that Jesus said on the cross is, that phrase, it is finished. What that means is that Jesus has already done it. What he did at the cross was more than enough for any of us. He doesn't have to do anything else. He has already done it. We trust in the finished work of the cross. Today, I want to teach you how to fight this thing called the fight of faith. So fighting the fight of faith. So Romans chapter number 12 Verses 1 and 2, it's a pretty familiar passage of Scripture. It says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. That just simply means this body belongs to God, and we're going to give it to Him by living our life for Him. Okay? He says, Give it to God because of all He has done for you. Has done. Past tense. Let them, let your bodies be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind that He will find acceptable. I love this. He says, this is truly how you worship him. You want to know what worship is? Worship is, it's, it's not singing songs to God. Worship is not giving financially. Worship is not showing up to small groups or showing up to service. Those are all uh, characteristics, but worship is a lifestyle, a lifestyle that honors God. Everything that you do, there's not a, there's not a, a God compartment and then a and then a secular compartment. A life of worship is, is centered around God. Everything you do is keeping God in mind and the fact that I belong to Him, so I'm going to live my life in a way that's pleasing to Him. That is worship. And he says this, verse number 2, Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be like the world, but be what? Transformed. That means to be changed, to be uh, to be changed, to be transformed, how are you changed? By the renewing of your mind. Why do we need our minds renewed and why do we need to be changed? So that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want you to look at that right there. We want to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's a lot that's in this this passage of Scripture right here. There's a lot that we can learn from it, but one of the most important things, especially regarding uh, healing and God's will, that we can learn from this Scripture is that, that God's will for our lives is well-pleasing and good. That He has a will for us, and it is well-pleasing, and it is 
good. And we also learn that the way that we prove that his will is well-pleasing and good is by living a life that is dedicated to him. By living in a way that our life prioritizes God, by living a life that is centered around God, by living a life that renounces the world and exalts God, by living a life that is, that is governed by the word of God, by living a life of worship. I believe what Paul is saying here is that when we live a life that is dedicated to prioritizing God and a life that's dedicated uh, to his word, that we will begin to see his will executed in our lives. When we dedicate our lives to God and are governed by his word, we begin to see his will, which is well-pleasing and is good and acceptable, we begin to see that executed in our life. As we live by the word of God, we begin to see fruit. We begin to see um, a, a, a crop, if you will. We begin to see change. And that change, listen to me, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to prove a point here. That change that is produced by living by the word of God is proof that God's will for us is good and perfect and well-pleasing. Because we begin to execute his will in this earth. One question that I would ask this morning, and, and you know this, but if you're a little hesitant, you may not want to shout it out loud in case you have the wrong answer. Um, but, but what is God's will concerning salvation? Does God want everyone to be saved, some people to be saved, uh, only a certain race to be saved, only Republicans to be saved? I think God wants Democrats to be saved as well. Uh, anyway, I'll stop right there. But... Uh, um, what is God's will regarding salvation? How do we know that? Where does he tell us that? In his word. Let, let's look. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the Lord is not willing, which means the Lord is willing to save everyone. God's will is to save everyone. He doesn't want anyone to perish. That word perish means more than just die physically. We're all going to die physically. But the word perish means to be eternally separated from God. God doesn't want anyone to be eternally separated from Him. He wants everyone to repent and come to Him for salvation. So God's will concerning salvation is for everyone to repent and be saved. How do we prove that? How do we prove that's His will? By living our lives for Him, by putting Him first, by living uh, according to His Word. And when we do that, we see change. And that change is proof that God wants us to be saved. See, I, I know that God's will is to save me because when I live by His Word, I begin to see change in my life. I, my desires become different. The things that I want to do, my want to. My old pastor used to say, your, your want to's got to change. Your, 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 my want to changes. And that, to me, that is proof that God's will is to save me. Because when I live by His word, it produces change. Let me encourage everyone this morning by saying this, that, that God wants to fix everything that is broken in your life. Everything. God wants to fix it. He wants to give you a fulfilling life. You may be here today and say, well, my life's not very fulfilling. But God is for you. God wants you to have an abundant life. God wants you to have a fulfilling life. But he doesn't do that 
with a magic wand. He does that through the Word of God. Now, now please listen. Some of this may seem elementary, but this is so foundational. You have to get a hold of this. And we're going to talk about healing, but you have to know this. The Word of God is like medicine. It's medicine that we take and apply to our lives. And when we take the Word of God and apply it to our lives, it will bring about change. But if we don't take it and apply it to our lives, it will not do any good for us. The Word of God is powerful, but you have to take it and apply it to our lives. So when I say that God wants to fix everything in you that's broken, he doesn't, you don't just pray a prayer and say, God, fix everything in me that's broken. He doesn't, he, when you go to the doctor, the doctor doesn't say, here, I got a cure for that. You're healed. He gives you medicine. He gives you a, a treatment. He gives you a, a plan that you need to implement. That's what God's word does for us. So if you have something broken in your life today, I'm, not, I'm here to tell you, God's not going to just wave a magic wand and fix you. He's already done it through Jesus. We have to stand on what the word of God says, believe that report, and apply it to our lives and watch the change come about. The Bible says that we are changed or transformed, how? By renewing our minds. The word mind in that verse in Romans chapter uh, uh, 12 verse 2 that, that, that word mind also means understanding so he says we, we are changed by renewing our understanding it, it, have you ever had one of the what, what I call a light bulb moment where you've been doing something for maybe months or even years and you just you just don't get it and then all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and you have understanding you, you, you now understand what this means. You now understand how this works. This, this is what the word minds means in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let your understanding be renewed. We, God wants us to begin to see things the way that He sees things. God wants us to begin to think the way that He thinks. And when we begin to see and think differently, we begin to see change in our life. Revelation or of understanding begins to bring about change. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, we sang about that this morning, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But when you give your life to God by putting your faith in Jesus, you become a new creation. You are born again that very moment. Not physically, but spiritually. The real you, which is your spiritual being that lives on the inside, your eternal being, the real you is made brand new at salvation. And the moment that this happens, listen, the moment that that happens, God gives you everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness. God blesses you right then with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. This is what we learned last week. I don't have time to go back and reteach that. Go home and watch it. Because of what Jesus has, had done at the cross, it is finished. When we believe and receive what God has done for us, everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness is given to us. 
We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You have everything the moment that you are born again. The problem is, is that your body doesn't know that. The problem is, is your current mind and your current thought life doesn't know that. That's why we have to be transformed by renewing our minds. The devil will use your mind and he will use your thought life to tell you that you're not any different. He will use your mind and your, your thought life to tell you that you're not forgiven. Oh, I know that you walked down that, at the church and you, you stood there at the front and you, you prayed a prayer and you asked Jesus to forgive you, but the devil will tell you, but you're not really forgiven. You've, you've done too much. And he'll start reminding you of all the things that you have done. And he'll tell you that you're, not, that you're not any different. He'll tell you that you're still a failure. He'll tell you that you're never going to change. Your dad struggled with this. You struggle with this. You're always going to struggle with it. This is a family curse. You're always going to be in this situation. And the way that you fight that, the way that you combat those thoughts, is by knowing and believing and standing on what the Word of God says. What, what did we just read in 2 Corinthians 5, 17? If any man is in Christ, that means you've put your faith and, and trust in Jesus Christ, what happens to that person? He's a new... You better, you better remember that. You better know that. And when the enemy starts putting thoughts in your mind that you're a failure, that, that you're not forgiven, you need to know, I know what the Word of God says. It says that if I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that I am a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. You have to know that. The Bible teaches us that, that we have to learn to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That means if there's a thought that pops in your mind that's not of God, you've got to learn to reject that. If there's a thought that comes in your mind that is contrary to what this word says, you've got to reject that and you've got to bring into obedience. You've got to know what this word says and stand on that. Now, that's just concerning salvation. Let, let's move to the next question. What, what is God's will concerning healing? Is God's will to heal just a few people? Is God's will to heal just a few types of diseases? Is God's will just to heal people who, you know, are under five foot, over six foot? Is, what, what, who, who is it that God is willing to heal? How do we know that? His word tells us that. God's will is to heal everyone. Now let me show you something very interesting. I want to combine salvation and healing. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 is what is known as uh, most theologians and, and a lot of pastors, preachers, they'll call this the Roman road. This is how someone gets saved, if you will. It says this, If you confess your mouth, with, excuse me, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be Saved. Now, keep that on the screen for just a moment. Look at that word saved. I have it um, um, bolded there, highlighted, different color. Because that word saved, and I don't, I don't want to confuse people here, but the Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek. The Old Testament is mostly Hebrew. The, the New Testament is mostly Greek. So when the translators translated from the original language to our English uh, language, sometimes the words that we have in English 
are not the exact meaning as what the original language were. So they would use the best word that they could to describe it. I'm telling you that because this word saved here comes from the Greek word S-O-Z-O, sozo. And that word sozo means to be made whole. As a matter of fact, it's the exact same word that's translated in Matthew chapter 9, verse 21, but it's translated as whole instead of saved. Talking about the woman who had this blood issue for over 12 years, she said, if I could just touch his garment, I shall be made whole. It's the exact same word, sozo. Scott, what are you saying? I'm saying that when we get saved, God makes us whole. When we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we are made whole. I'm telling you, this, this is important. Some people are going to get it. Some people, that light bulb's going to come on. And some people, you're going to be like, I don't know about that. But my prayer is this morning that the Holy Spirit begins to reveal things to you so that you can get a hold of what I'm teaching you. Because this, this, this will transform your life. As a child of God, you are forgiven and you are healed. You are made whole. You are forgiven and you are healed. This is going to help a lot of people this morning. As a child of God, you are forgiven and you are healed. Well, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second, Pastor. You're telling me that as a child of God, I am forgiven and I am healed? Yes. That's what I'm telling you. Well, I, that just can't be the case because I don't feel healed. Listen closely. You might want to write this down. Faith is not about a feeling. Faith is about understanding. It's, it's not about a feeling. It's about understanding. Because guess what? Regarding salvation, there are many times a believer doesn't feel Saved. I, I've been, not perfect by no means, but I've been saved for probably 30 years. And there have been times that I didn't feel saved. <laughs> There's been times that I didn't feel forgiven. Where, where did those feelings come from? Where did that thought that I'm not forgiven, where did that come from? Did it come from God? Mm -mm. It comes from the enemy. So my point is, just because my feelings are saying that I'm not forgiven doesn't mean that I'm not forgiven. Because I'm forgiven because I've put my faith and trust in what Jesus has done for me. And my faith is not about a feeling. This is important. My faith is understanding, and that understanding came from what the Word of God said. The enemy's job is to make you feel like that you don't have something that God has already given you. Romans 8.1, many, many of you know this. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has, has, what is that? That's past tense. Has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. In other words, what this verse is saying is that as a born-again believer, because you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are no longer guilty of your sins regardless of what your feelings say. Are y'all following me? Because there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
All of our sins, because we've trusted Jesus, have been forgiven, regardless if you feel forgiven or not. You have been made new. You have been forgiven. You have to know this. You have to know who you are. You have to know whose you are. And you have to know what you have in Jesus. Because if you don't know that, the devil will steal so much from you. He'll steal your joy. He'll steal your peace. He'll steal your, your comfort. He's a thief. But once you learn and understand that through Christ you have been given everything that you need, then you will learn to fight the fight of faith. If you've given your life to Jesus, God has saved you and he has healed you. But you still, listen, you know this, just because you're saved doesn't mean that you won't be tempted to do sin anymore. So since you're tempted, you, you have to learn now to fight off those temptations. Are you still following me? We're saved Temptations come. We have to learn to fight off those temptations. How do we fight off those temptations? By knowing what the Word of God says. You've also been healed. And we have to learn to fight off sickness. I know this is... For some of you, you may have never heard any teaching like this. And, and I'm, I'm asking you to take what I say today. Go home. Pray about it. Look what the Word of God says. And if I'm telling the truth, then learn to stand on it and see what God does in your life. But we have been saved and we have been healed. But now we've got to learn to fight this fight of faith. The same way that we have to learn to fight off temptations, we've got to learn to fight off sickness. This is what I believe is meant by the fight of faith. We see this in, in several different places, but I want to look at three. Three verses that talk about fighting the fight of faith. First one is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. The Apostle Paul says, fight. Everybody say fight. Fight. Somebody's like, oh, I like fighting. Now this is not... It's not beating anybody up. Okay, this is a faith fight. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Look at this. Hold tightly. That means you've already got something. Hold on to it. Hold it tightly. It's, it's valuable. Don't let anyone steal that from you. Don't let anyone take that. It's yours. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have confessed so well before many witnesses. He's saying here, fight the good fight of faith and hold tightly to this eternal life. Hold on to what you've already been given. It's yours. Don't let anyone take it from you. Do not let the devil steal what God has already given you. It's yours. You've got to fight to hold on to what God has given you. 2 Timothy 4, 7. The Apostle Paul also says this. I have, he's done what? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. Some translations say I have kept the faith. I fought the good fight. I've finished my course. I have kept the faith. That means Paul, Paul says no one was going to take that from me. I knew what was mine, and I have kept the faith. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold tightly. There's that phrase again. Hold tightly without wavering. That means 
That means you may think that you're solid and then a situation happens and you begin to waver because you're not sure. That means you better know what the Word of God says and stand on it. And regardless of what's going on in your life, you're going to hold tightly and you are not going to waver. He says, I'm going to hold tightly without wavering uh, uh, to the hope that we affirm for God can be trusted to keep His promises. You better listen to me this morning. When the devil comes and tries to rob you of your joy, when the devil comes and tries to tell you that you are not worthy, when he comes and tries to tell you that you are unlovable, that God would never forgive you, that God doesn't want good things for you, when he comes and tries to oppress you with sickness, you hold on to the promises of God. You hold that tightly. You don't let go. You hold on to what is already yours through Jesus Christ. Fight the fight of faith. You can't win a fight that you don't know you're in. You gotta fight. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, You gotta fight. You see, the devil is out to kill, steal, and destroy. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He will do everything that he can to try to destroy you. He'll do everything he can to try to destroy your family, your marriage, your relationship with your children. He'll do everything that he can to try to feed you with lies so that you will believe his lies. Why does he want you to believe his lies? Because what you believe will ultimately determine how you live and how you act and how you pray and how you speak and the words that you speak. So he wants to try to fill your mind with lies so that you'll speak negativity. So that you'll pray prayers the wrong way. I'm going to teach you that in this series. So you don't know what to believe. He'll fill your mind with all these lies. He wants you to believe that you're not forgiven. He wants you to believe that you are not healed. And you have to know how to fight that. Man, if only there were a good example in the Bible of how to fight the enemy's accusations and temptations. I think there is. (laughs) And it includes Jesus, who is the prime example of who we should pattern our lives after. Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to read 11 verses here. I'll move through this pretty quickly. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and he became very hungry. If you've ever fasted, man, it's, it's hard for me to even do 24 hours. I'm like, the moment that I say I'm fasting, my belly's just going, <laughs> you just got to say I'm going to fast and you get hungry. Um, anyway, where was I? Verse number three. During that time, the devil, who came? Who came and began to tempt him? The devil came and said to him, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, this is very, very important. No, what did he say? The scriptures say. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And the devil said, if you're the son of God, jump off for the scriptures say. Now he's going to use the word and try to twist it to try to get Jesus in a trap. 
The devil says that, here's what the scripture says. It says he'll order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded. Next slide. Jesus responded. The scriptures also say. What was his, his first response? Scriptures say. What's his second response? The scriptures say. You must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain. This is important. The elevation is important because first the devil comes here. If that doesn't work, he'll take it a little bit higher. If that doesn't work, he'll take it a little bit higher. It's how it works, okay? You've got to know how to fight. He takes him up to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Watch what Jesus said. Get out of here, Satan. Watch this. Are you starting to see a pattern here? A pattern to the temptation, a pattern to the, the accusations of the devil. Here's what he says. He says, get behind me, Satan, or get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. How did Jesus fight off the enemy? With the scripture, with the word of God. How did, how did Jesus expose the lies of the devil? With scripture, with the word of God. Notice that Jesus always reminded the devil of what the scriptures said. What are we talking about? Fighting the fight of faith. Who is our example of how to fight? Jesus. What did he do every time that the enemy tried to, uh, to bring temptation or tried to bring oppression or discouragement or any sort of thing that was contrary to the will of God? What did he do? He quoted the scripture. He said, it is written. When you're fighting a fight of faith, when you say it is written and you quote what is written, it's like giving the devil a right hook, a body blow, a, a jab, a punch, whatever. It is written means that God cannot change his word. It's written. God, here's what your word says. But you can't say it is written if you don't know what is written. I hope you hear this. This is, for some of you, you may think, okay, this is crazy, but I'm telling you, if you get a hold of this, you, your, your spiritual muscles, whew, you're going to look like pie pie. Yeah, I, okay, that's probably, some of you don't even know who Pi Pi is. But anyway, you, 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 you'll, you'll be ready to fight Pi Pi when he eats the spinach, that is, okay? Now, did I say it wrong? What did I say? Popeye. Is that better? Popeye. What did I say? <laughs> anyway, y'all know what I mean. Come on. I'm just a country boy. Country boy at heart. Okay, y'all have lost me. Come on now, this was really good. Y'all just killed my anointing. If, okay, but you can't say it is written if you don't know what is written. You have to know what the Word of God says. People are losing the fight of faith because they don't know what the Word of God says. People are... are are walking out on a relationship with God because they don't know what the Word of God says. The enemy makes them feel like that they don't have anything in Christ. They'll think, well, I prayed a prayer. It didn't work. I'm leaving. People are losing the fight of faith because they don't know what the Word says. Listen, unbelief comes from hearing what other people are saying. 
Unbelief comes by listening to the world. Unbelief comes when you get your eyes on other people's negative experiences. Unbelief comes from getting your eyes on other people's negative outcomes. But faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. Remember what I taught you last week. Anything that we get from God is a matter of us receiving and not God doing. Anything that we get from God is a matter of us receiving and not God doing. You have to know this. It is finished. God has already, through Jesus, God has already done His part. So anything that we get from God is a matter of us receiving and not God doing. And the way that we receive it is through faith. Everything that we get from God is through faith. And what is faith? Faith is our positive response to what God has already done. Faith is our positive response to what God has already done. When you get saved, we are saved by grace through faith. What is our faith in? In Jesus, what He has done at the cross. So faith is our positive response to what God has already done. So when I get saved, it's not anything that, that I do. It's not anything that God has to come and do for me. He's already done it. Through Jesus. So I put my faith and trust in what Jesus has already done for me. And when I put my faith in that, I receive what God did. I hope you get this this morning. Faith is our positive response to what God has already done. That is how we fight the fight of faith. We know what the Word says and we protect what is ours. When you have a car and you have the title to that car, that, is, that title is proof that that belongs to you. That's yours. And when you see someone, Pastor Jerry, when I see someone coming to get in my vehicle, I have to use my wife's because hers is paid for, my truck's not... But when someone comes to get my wife's car, I have the title of that, and I'm going to fight them. You can't take that car. That's my car. That belongs to me. You see this right here? This is proof that it belongs to me. I rebuke you. Get out of here. That, you're a thief. That's my car. We've got to learn to fight the fight of faith. When the enemy puts thoughts that you're not forgiven, you say, oh no, I gave my life to Jesus. I trusted in what Jesus has done for me. And the Bible says that if I am in Christ, I am a new creation. Regardless of what my feelings are telling me, regardless of what other people are saying about me, I am a new creation. When it comes to sickness, you've got to learn to fight off sickness. You are not a sick person who's trying to get well. You are a well person who the devil is trying to make sick. You need to know that. You're not, a, you're not a, 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 a save person, or excuse me, you're not a sinner who is trying to get saved. You're a saved person who the enemy is trying to make you think that you're unworthy. You have to know that. You have to know how to fight this fight of faith. It's all about the fight of faith. The difference between fighting to get healed and fighting because you know you've already been healed is the difference between success and failure. 
The difference between fighting to get saved and fighting because you already know you've been saved is the difference between living in defeat and walking in victory. You have to know who you are. You have to know whose you are. You have to know what you have through Christ Jesus. And you have to know that so that you can fight off the enemy. Don't let him take anything from you that belongs to you. I hope you hear me this morning. Let me finish with the Old Testament story really quick. Many of you know this story. You can read about it in the book of Numbers. The Israelites, and, and a lot of times I'll say the children of Israel, which they were, but maybe we have some new people here. Maybe we have some people that's been coming for a long time, and you think, children of Israel, okay, these are little b kids. These are the children of Israel. They're, they're, they're God's people, the, the, the Israelites. And they're God's people because God had to choose a, a nation to reveal himself to the world. So he chose the nation of Israel. That's who he used to reveal himself to the world. His people, the Israelites, were in bondage, slavery, to the Egyptians for over 400 years. Four, now, I just want you to think about it. Sometimes we read, and the children of Israel were in bondage for 400 years. Blah, 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 blah. We skip 400 years. We're talking about generation after generation after generation after generation in slavery. That's all they ever knew. Poverty, slavery, lack. They didn't have anything that really belonged to them. And so God used this man by the name of Moses to, to, to be a deliverer. He's a, he was a picture of, of the coming Messiah, which would be Jesus. And God speaks to Moses and he says, I want you to lead my people out of Egyptian slavery. Fast forward, God leads the, the children of Israel, the Israelites, out of Egyptian bondage. How long had they been there? Over 400 years. God delivers them. God saves them, if you will. He brings them out of bondage. Picks them up. Pops them out. No longer in slavery, no longer in bondage. But God wasn't finished with them. God didn't want to just deliver them from slavery. God wanted them to, to have a, a new home. God wanted them to have their own land. God wanted to bless them with crops and fruits and prosperity. He had, he had an abundant life for them. So God says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Not only have I brought you out, now I'm going to lead you into a land of freedom. A land, the Bible says, that's flowing with milk and honey. A land of abundance. So they begin this track across the desert. God's bringing them to this land called the promised land. Right before they get to the promised land, God says, well, well, well let's stop right here for just a second. I want to see who all believes me. So he tells Moses, he says, Moses, I want you to find 12 men. And I want you to send them ahead into the land that I have given you. And I want them to bring back a report of what they see. So the guys go into the land. After a few days, they come back and, and they give a report of what that they have seen. Ten of these men brought back this report that, yeah, it's good. The land is indeed a prosperous land. Uh, there's a lot of big, uh, a lot of fruit, a lot of crops. Matter of fact, we brought a, a sample. Look how big these grapes are from this land. I mean, it, it is a great land. But our enemies are in that land. We can't defeat them. We might as well just go back to Egypt. At least there we were being taken care of. We were being fed. <laughs> Let's just Go back. But there were, there were two other guys, Joshua and Caleb, who were part of this 12-man this group. 
who made the comment, yes, guys, yes, there, 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 are, there, there are giants there. Our enemies are there. But you have to remember, it's God who has given us this land. And if God has given us this land, then God wants us to live there. And if God wants us to live there, then even though there may be giants there, God is going to give us the power and the authority and the strength to slay those giants. Because 10 other guys brought back a bad report, because they were afraid to fight the giants, God said this. He said, all right, no one over the age of 20 years of age is going to be able to enter the promised land. The only ones who, who, who are uh, over the age of 20 who are going to enter the promised land is, is Joshua and Caleb. No one else was able to enter this land of provision that God had for them because they didn't believe. Now, were they delivered from slavery? Yes. So my, my analogy is, were they saved? Yes. But God had more than just, just deliverance. The word saved means to be made whole to be healed, to be healthy. And so, so, so Joshua and Caleb said, we can defeat these giants because we know that God has given us this land. Whatever giants that we encounter, we will defeat them because God is for us. So God tells Moses to tell the people this. In Numbers chapter 33, we, we fast forward a little bit. Now they're going into the land. This is important. He says this, he tells Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Israel, When you cross the Jordan River and you're going into the land of Canaan, this is the land that God had given them. He says, look at this. What does that say? You. Who's that? That, that was the people. It's us today. He says, you must drive out all the people living there. These were their enemies who were occupying the Israelites' land that God had given them. God says, that's your land. Those people are living in it. Go drive them out. It belongs to you. He says, you've got to drive them out. You've got to destroy all their carved and molten images and demolish all their pagan shrines. Watch this. Take possession of the land and settle in it. Why? Because I have given it to you. Man, I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. That's your land. Take possession of it and go occupy it because it's yours. But God, there are giants there. I know. Drive them out. That's your land. It belongs to you. I gave it to you. Verse 55. But if you... Who's, is God driving them out? Mm -mm. They are. Now, God has given them the power and authority to do this. But they're the ones that's driving out. If you fail to drive out the people who live in the land, those who remain will be like splinters in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will harass you in the land where you live. Even though there were giants, it was their land. They were responsible to drive them out. God had given them the power and the authority. Remember, we have read this for the last two weeks. God had given the disciples the power and the authority to cast out all demons and to heal all manner of diseases. It was the disciples' responsibility. Now, us as believers, we are disciples. God has given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. He has given us the power and the authority. Jesus says, these signs will follow those who believe. 
In my name, they will cast out demons. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Whose responsibility is it? So you guys are quiet. Do I need to preach for another couple hours? <laughs> it's our responsibility. God, in the Old Testament, it's a picture of things to come. He says, that's your land. Yeah, there's giants there. And if you don't drive them out, they're going to be a thorn in your side. They're going to harass you. You better learn to take authority over them. You better learn to take, uh, you utilize your power over them and drive them out. It's our responsibility. When, when, when the enemy tries to put oppression upon you, when the enemy tries to put depression upon you, anxiety, fear, sickness, whatever, you say, uh-uh, God made me whole. I belong to the Lord, and I'm going to exercise my authority and my power, and in the name of Jesus Christ, the name that's above all other names, you have no right here. This is my body. This is my land. This is my territory. It's mine. God gave it to me. Amen. Fight the fight of faith. Regardless of what you've experienced, regardless of what you've watched other people experience, God is a healer. God is a healer. Jesus heals. Look what the Word says about healing and stand on it. Amen? Let me pray over.